Hi, you're listening to the Greenie Deal podcast. Today is a big ideas episode. It's about South Africa. It's a big country, so it's a big episode. I talked to environmental activist Lungiza Ngapi and we talked about lots of interesting things, in particular colonialism and capitalism. It ended up being a two hour long conversation, but I edited it down to just 30 minutes. You're welcome. Um, so here's a little guide for you. If you want to hear more about the Green New Deal in South Africa and the environment of South Africa, skip to 16 minutes in. If you want to hear more about colonialism and capitalism, keep listening now. I hope you enjoy it and without further ado, I'll let Lungiza introduce himself. Hello and greetings to your listeners. <laughs> my, name is, my name is Lungi Sangapi. I'm Kosa. I'm descended from the Yamazangwa clan through my father and the Amakwecha clan through my mother. Um, my people are from this place. I was born here at Bai, but it's called Port Elizabeth um, in the colonial language. Uh, the English. area now is referred to as um, Nelson Mandela Bay. Um, because it's the, the, the naming of it has included other areas. So Port Elizabeth is the coastal city, and uh, Nelson Mandela Bay refers to the city's surrounding cities. Um, on the map, we are on the, we, so it's South Africa, so obviously we're in the south. So southeastern coast, mm. um, that's where we're at. Um, it's a beautiful place, and it's got beautiful people. Um, so when it comes to my activism, I'm a member of Extinction Rebellion. That's so and, cool, that's and, so uh, global. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I'm with Extinction Rebellion in Nelson Mandela Bay. Um, so a bit of background for some context. Um, so I'm new to the you know environmental or the climate activism space. Um, I joined Extinction Rebellion a few months before COVID hit. Mm. So... I had just gone to a few meetings and then COVID hit and we kind of, nobody was doing anything. So we sat for a while and I had a chance to really learn and interrogate what Extinction Rebellion was all about. So for me, I have to admit, it took it took a while for the importance of climate change um, to to hit me. And I think the same for most people because it seemed to be, something about the future and it seemed to focus mostly on lifestyle changes you know like vegetarianism eating organic or you know the conspiracies around genetically modified foods and these Mm. honestly these things seemed like rich people issues Mm. um it was people folk who could afford to make those types of lifestyle choices Mm. you know and also here in africa and specifically south africa the environmental and you know the conservation space really hasn't really shed its colonial and racist aura you know so as a pan-africanist myself i was more interested in sort of the the structural changes that we needed to do to you know to to change what was going on so if we were critiquing the food system for example that leaves millions of people you know on the verge of starvation i wanted to deal with something that dealt with that now not in some type of future um but it kind of it i don't know when it happened but it happened and i suddenly understood that what i was dealing with was the same thing here it was you know, this global economy that treats people as, you know, as material to extract stuff from, 
is the same economy that treats the environment and the planet as something to extract extract wealth from. And I remember hearing somebody say something like, we may be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and COVID, COVID completely exposed the truth of that statement, right? Where... No, that was, <laughs> no, that's so interesting. And I think, I think I completely like connect with that because a few years ago, I also, my head really wasn't in the kind of space for environmental activism. I, I too yeah. didn't get the connections between fighting sexism, fighting racial inequality, yeah. fighting for like yeah. the right to refugees, you know, yeah. things that I, I thought seemed more relevant to humans. I kind of, I almost I had a disconnect. I thought the environment was something for animals. I, I also thought it was something, you know, yeah. for a kind of more privileged yeah. kind of activism. Yeah. And I didn't realise without a stable climate, you know, without stable food supply, water supply, all these things yeah. kind of, the, the system just falls apart. And just to speak to your, yeah, yeah, that, that, that the thing about the storm and how we're all, um, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boats. I remember yeah. seeing a political cartoon and it was these people facing away from the sea um, like at the start of 2020 and just about to wash over them is a wave that says COVID. And just after that is a bigger wave um, saying um, economic crisis. And even yeah. and even the biggest wave of all that's about to crash over the whole beach was the climate crisis. So everyone's aware how unfair the pandemic has been to all of us. It's treated us all really unequally. Um, some people have you know actually profited, but some people have had their lives turned upside down. Well, the climate crisis, sad to say, it's like that, but times a hundred unless we act now to do something about it. But I also mm. want to ask you very first of all, because you've mentioned capitalism a few times, um, mm. would you mind explaining a little bit about your worldview um, and maybe how that fits into the Green New Deal? Okay, um, you know, yeah, it's interesting because for us here in the Global South, right, like I'm going to do it like this, mm. for us, we, I've had to, anyway, I had to, you know, growing up and whatever and being a Pan-Africanist and being part of, you know, parents in the liberation movement and all of that, you understand, I came to understand that colonialism and apartheid were bought here by capitalism. It wasn't the other way around, mm. right? Like colonialism did not bring capitalism to this space. It was capitalism there in the global north that brought colonialism to the space because it was colonialism and apartheid were systems of accumulation. It was a way of getting more and more and more and more because that's what that system does. It just wants more. So when I think of capitalism here, I think of colonialism. And I think of it not just as a system in the sense of, you know, system of accumulation in the sense of the economy. I also think of it as a system of values, right? Um, because to to be a capitalist is to be very much uh, uh, an individual, individualistic personality, right? Mm-hmm. The the I is paramount. Whereas Africa and a lot of the global South, a lot of indigenous spaces are, um, how would you say, more collectivism, mm-hmm. right? It's more about us, the we, right? So here in South Africa, we have Ubuntu, 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 
that's our golden rule, you know. So you you're a person because of other people, you know. And you look at other spaces around Africa. This this idea kind of resonates, and it's kind of the same, and we share it. And many in the um, global south communities share that idea of we, right? So when it comes to capitalism, it is really for me, um, it it really clashes with communities, and it it has to. How can you say? Because of the way it came here, it came here with so much force, right? It came through violence, taking of the land, um, defining people as you know less than human, and doing all of these things that are obviously demonstrably not true. Like black folk are not less than. We we know this. This is to be true. But this system comes along and says this, and it says this in such a way so that it can do what it wants to do. It's it's always so strange to me how the, the, the capitalist system to do what it needs to do, um, and through its own logic, doesn't see its own contradictions, right? Like so, you 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 have a population of people in a land that is not their own, that they're basically stolen the land from other people, and they literally cannot see it. The 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 history they've been taught, the the the. Like, for example, here yeah. in South Africa, oh, yeah, it was yeah. for, for a couple of years ago, people started using this. Well, it was a global phenomenon, actually, where people started talking about white privilege, right? It was quite interesting to see the reactions of people in this country when the words white privilege were used or the words um, white supremacy. Um, you got to see at a very intimate level how well the system actually worked at hiding itself from its own beneficiaries, right? So you, you had white folk in this country saying, how can I be um, privileged uh, if I work? I work really hard yeah. for what I've got, right? And then you start to pick up and you start to realize what the logic of capital is that it works to hide itself from its beneficiaries. So you, when you have privilege, for example, I'm a heterosexual male, mm. right? It took me, you know, I had to grow up and realize that there are certain privileges that I have in this society because I'm a heterosexual male. Mm. And I accept that, and personally, I lean into my privileges so I can use them to help those that don't have them, right? But it was really difficult, and it's very difficult still to have this conversation with white folk in this country because they don't see how much they've benefited. Because end of come the end of apartheid, come um, the, the Desmond Tutus and the Mandelas and the, the forgiveness right, let's forgive, let's forgive, let's forgive, come that time, nobody was expected from the beneficiaries of capital um, and apartheid and colonialism, nobody was expected to say, hey, um, even though that I didn't do any of those negative and bad things, I still benefited from this system. Mm -hmm. There was no teaching to that. There was no learning to that. All that was expected was, black folk, it's time to forgive, it's over, and let's move on. And now what we are seeing now is the effects of never having dealt with those things. Yeah. Never having dealt with the, you know, the, the very real fact of um, you are a beneficiary of a system that took from others and gave to you. And now that that system is gone, it is inevitable to feel, it's inevitable that you're going to feel as if you're being oppressed when it's just a bit of privilege that was taken from you. So when it comes to South Africa and capital it has done only one thing and that is to accumulate itself 
to those that have that minority. I guess the next question would be, if not capitalism, then what? (laughs) (laughs) And um, please keep your answer to two minutes. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Please, please feel free. (laughs) No, it's a brilliant question. I love the question because, um, especially, I like answering it because I am South African. We answered this question years ago. (laughs) Former Steve Biko and our our ancestors and our, our, our liberation fighters, they... They did the critique, they asked the questions, and they came out with answers. Socialism. And you know, what do you mean when we say socialism? I think also sometimes when we just say words like socialism, we need to um, be aware of the the pushback and the response to words like that, Mm. how they trigger people. So when we say socialism, what we're saying pretty much, it's it's such a simple concept, is that the means of production must be owned by the people. We understand, and we understand, and this is where colonialism comes from. So, come '94 in this country, for example, and where we we embraced capitalism on a whole new level, we call that the betrayal because we understood exactly what capitalism did. We understand that colonialism is because of capitalism. So that the system we never wanted it, and we understood through the. I mean, Marx. Marx doesn't really talk about communism. He's basically just giving us a critique of capitalism and Mm -hmm. communism and socialism kind of comes they come out of that right so what other system if we if you move capitalism out of the way and then you look at let's say for example the principles of 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 a system like um, socialism or communism each to their need what is wrong with this i find it very difficult to understand how people can look at something and the principles are so beautiful, each according to their need. What is wrong with this concept? But it makes people react so badly. Mm. And in and I'll give you a quick example about that a South African example, which um, which shows the the hypocrisy of the system. In South Africa, uh, we only got free education like two years ago, right? So the the youngsters here they fought for. Um, free education. Now, free education was one of those things that they actually fought for back then, since 1976, right? So this has been on the on on the cards forever. Come 94, nothing was done. Education um, just kept getting more and more expensive. So finally, the the, the 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 young students say, "No more. We're done with this. We refuse to pay for education." So what does the the system of capitalism do, does and it's it's proponent it's it's those that protect it the elite they come out here they use their media and they go on and on and on about how there's no way you can have free education because how are you going to pay for it and let me tell you for i don't know how long every morning i was switch on the news and it was just about this and all they wanted to prove to us was that how it couldn't be done and they used all their best economic people they just you know they had them coming out every day to tell us it couldn't be done. Mm. And on the other side of that conversation were these young students, many of them black and some white, and just a complete mix of just young people, all saying, no, it is possible, and if you would just take a moment to listen, this is how you do it. And during that entire um, time that was happening, I was flabbergasted at, how, at the hypocrisy of the elites and the system, because... 
a young man comes out and says, okay, you want us? This is how we're going to do it. You say we cannot have um, free education because of the cost. Now, he comes and he says to everybody, because he had the platform, um, he, I think he, he had um, connections to the president. So, and he had studied this. I think he had made it his um, dissertation at varsity on how to make education free in South Africa. And he basically said, oh, well, you take that cost and you turn it around and you make it an investment just like every other country in the world that has free education. So we saw in that moment, actually, how much capitalism or capital, the system of capital, lies. It, but really, if I was going to answer, and I was going to answer for everybody, I would say, I don't know what system, but could capitalism just step aside and just let us figure it out? Mm. Because that's another big problem with capitalism. It doesn't let you do anything. For yourselves it, it constantly gets involved and it constantly sabotages and then it says but look it doesn't work but of course it doesn't work and that's it doesn't work because you have gone there and made sure it doesn't work right so we here in the global south i think if i if i can speak for everybody <laughs> is just capital capital please just move aside just let us work it out you know stop sabotaging yeah. um let us have our own meetings <laughs> you know we don't need you here to keep telling us how it cannot work. Because when you are not in the room, we make it work. Okay, so if you could give South Africa a kind of country profile and, you know, describe its environment, how would you describe it? So, um, so let me start here. Um, I would describe South Africa as generally uh, a warm and a dry region, even without climate change. Mm. Um, semi-arid is the term they use, I think. Yeah. Um, and they use the term semi-arid because um, South Africa gets about between 250 to 500 millilitres millimeters of rainfall per year. I think we stand at 464. Um, so that, that's, that space is what, why they call us semi-arid. Um, we get lots of sunshine. Um, our temperatures range between zero and 35 degrees measured in Celsius. Um, and without getting too bogged down in technical stuff, um, just to describe the, the, the climate um, in, this, in, this, in the southern part of this, of this continent. Um, so going from west to east, I would say the Western Cape, um, this is your Cape Town, um, areas mm. is described as having a Mediterranean climate conditions, which is just a fancy way of saying that they get, you know, cold and miserable rain in winter. Um, <laughs> and not to uh, someone from the UK, let me assure you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that sounds lovely to me. Mediterranean, lovely. <laughs> we'll take it any day. Sure. No, for us, especially here, because we have different um, climate systems. So the western side is, you know, your, your wet rain winter months. And then the rest of the country is pretty much subtropical, which means that we typically experience summer rains, you know. Um, so where I live um, in the Eastern Cape, um, it's funny because we're sort of um, in the middle of between on the one hand, on the left hand side or on the western side, we have your winter rains. And as you go towards the east, going up towards the north, you have your subtropical so here where we are, 
um, we also have a little bit of a desert arid region. So we have two climate systems um, in the same space, which has led to uh, drought, some serious droughts in this area. We're actually in the drought right now, and it's our sixth year of this drought. Um, And we also have been getting some localized flooding, um, which is an interesting phenomenon because one thinks that when you're having flooding, you're having a lot of rain. But um, what tends to happen is that the rainfall um, becomes less, but the rain that you do get tends to come through storms. So it comes down hard and it hits hard. And the whatever area that you're going to have that flood in basically can't handle the amount of rain that's having all at once. Mm-hmm. So that affects um, us in a big way uh, because in our infrastructure in dealing with those shocks is terrible, especially here in the Eastern Cape. Um, the Eastern Cape is not an area that has had much development. Mm. Um, but on the topic of rain uh, and, and, and climate change, is we have to point out that South Africa is considered one of the 10 hotspots, climate hotspots in the world. Um, yeah, I read a report from the Carbon Brief saying... Yeah. Uh, it was about, I think it was 14th for CO2 emissions, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, we have, in the world. We must remember that South Africa is, um, we have some serious mining going on here, mm-hmm. you know, commercial agriculture, like our carbon footprint is quite heavy. But that feeds um, into... And the thing is, in, 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 this, in South Africa, um, the, I, I remember reading something about the global average of the heating of the globe is something like 0.62 or something that it's gone up in the past 50 years, whereas in South Africa, it's gone up by 1.5 degrees. So we are already above, we're heating up at almost you know double mm. the, the, the global average, which obviously has you know effects that one can logically figure out. So obviously we're having drought, um, which affects, you know, food production, which affects health, which affects access to that water. And what is your government willing to do for you in, in the sense of resources? What we found in the Eastern Cape, as a quick example of how capital works, um, 200 million was sent back to Treasury, right, in the past quarter, um, wasn't used. Now, this is some an, an, an area that is going through a drought. It's in its sixth year of a drought. Villages that haven't seen water in I don't know how long. People are drinking dirty water, and we know that dirty water kills more people than war. You know, mm. um, so that has now stressed the health um, industry. Everything is getting stressed. Yeah. And, and then and then and then we see two hundred million going back to treasury. So we have to ask the question: How does that happen? Is that incompetence? And we don't want to fall too much into the conspiracy theories here or is a situation being created where we are so stressed for water that we'll accept anything and what i mean by anything is that private companies come in and they charge us an arm and a leg to give to bring us water right Mm -hmm. and we saw this with uh in cape town with two years ago with the day zero Right, so Cape Town was running out of water. The whole world knew about it. Everybody knew that there's no water in Cape Town. Funny thing is, is that a couple of weeks ago here in the Eastern Cape, our um, leaders 
came out and said that we have reached day zero, our, our dams are empty. In the urban areas, there are spaces that haven't received water for days on end. Um, in the rural areas, well, I've described the conditions that they deal with, you know, drinking water with animals, you know, with animals, feces, and just ridiculous stuff. So the question now falls back, and we're asking ourselves, how, how is this all happening? Is there no water? Is there no way to deal with this? And what we find is like, no, it can be done. Because if the private companies can say to us, we can do it, that means by definition that it can be done. Yeah. And the reason why we're not doing it is because apparently we have no money, but at the same time, 200 million was just sent back. So in, in the spaces that we're in, um, in dealing with this climate crisis, which is basically just exasperating um, other crises that were created by the system, the economic system that we use. We're stuck in this space where we're forced to critique everything, and we've come to the understanding. When it comes to the Green New Deal, <laughs> I have yeah. to say this quickly. Okay. We need, we need to understand the Green New Deal as a, a Hail Mary. It's a desperate act. We are desperate. We have no other choices. We have to do this because the threat of fossil fuels has reached a point where extinction level um, threat, right? So not extinction in the sense of like, yeah, in 50 years, no more human beings. But what we're saying is that even though extinction happens at, let's say, six, five degrees, six degrees up, between then and now, many, many people will die. And that is unacceptable to us. You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't need for it to become an extinction level threat before we become, <laughs> we become problematic. It's problematic now mm. because the people that are being affected, people are being affected right now. And who those people are, those people are the poor. Those people happen to be in countries like mine, black and people of color, and especially women and children get affected, right? But we speak about the Green New Deal from a position of social justice. Yeah. What would a Green New Deal look like in South Africa? Ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a Green New Deal in South Africa... Um, let me put it this way. Okay, so when we say Green New Deal, we like I said earlier, it would be specific um, as an intervention mm. because it's a Hail Mary, right? So we would be dealing with the fossil fuels. So in South Africa, there's a movement called um, Million Climate Jobs, right? Mm. So a and obviously, one in the UK. Um, I think you, I, I had mentioned the, the Climate Justice Charter, um, which really articulates very well the ideas of a, of a, of a different economic system um, that framed through um, social justice, right? So how would it look in South Africa? It would, any intervention that would work and that would have to take into account the historical connections, you know, um, from that, that begin through from colonialism, trying to right the wrongs from back then, right? Because the wrongs of back then are still happening right now. 
So that deal would really have to center the most vulnerable. Um, it would have to center the workers. Um, that deal would have to be, for example, in here in South Africa, there's been a narrative that the unions and, you know, that they don't want the, 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 the alternative energy technologies, the green energy. And that narrative has been pushed by big business because through um, Extension Rebellion, we've had, you know, talks and chats and uh, actions with the unions. And we found that they understand the concept of climate change and what it will do and who will be affected first. So um, over the next couple of months, actually, if you pay if you pay attention to my social media account, you'll see um, that we're going to be doing a lot of actions with the unions and the working class um, is how I would frame it specifically, where we're going to be pushing this Green New Deal. We're going to be pushing these climate jobs. We're going to be pushing that the government needs to understand that any type of intervention has to begin with the people. So any deal that comes along in Africa, in the global south, and I'm speaking now in general sense, so that we don't reproduce the inequities of the past would have to, by definition, center those that um, are, are most affected by climate change, those that uh, are kind of forgotten by capitalism. And this is, when we say that, we don't say it in some sort of airy-fairy way. We're being very deliberate because we know who those people are. And we know who those that have benefited from the system are. And we've seen what they've done with their benefits. They don't help us. So a last point, a Green New Deal in Africa or in South Africa would definitely center the working class. And any decisions and anything done when ownership-wise would be such that the people own, own it and they own it in a democratic way. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Lengeza, thank you so, so much thank for talking to me. Thank you very it's been much for so the fascinating. Chat. Um I've yeah, I've loved talking to you and I would absolutely love to talk to you again at some point. Um Definitely. yeah, it was so interesting. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, So, as you can tell, there was a lot of anti-capitalism talk in this episode, and it's worth noting that the Green New Deal, whilst recognising some of the huge system failures that capitalism entails, is still structured as a capitalist idea. But it seeks to restructure our society in such an egalitarian way that many socialists, including Lugiza, are advocating for it. So, to be clear, the Green New Deal wouldn't be socialist in practice, but it borrows many, many socialist ideals in the effort to fight poverty and climate change. We will be having more right-wing guests on in the future um, because the last thing we want is to become an echo chamber and also because everyone is welcome in this conversation like everyone and because it's good for people with different opinions to talk to each other but for now um please follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter all the links are in the description and last but certainly not least thank you very much to amina ali for writing our newsletter lily draper for your beautiful artwork on our social media pages naomi potter for your research and seb o'connell for your brilliant advice and research too okay great um hopefully you'll listen next week